Hello there, and welcome to Not The Farmer's Wife podcast. I'm CJ Steedman, and I'm definitely not the farmer's wife. I am a mum, a partner, a full-time off-farm worker, and enthusiastically a lady farmer. On our farm, Mojo Homestead, we grow chickens, goats, cows, and bees. We practice regenerative agriculture and holistic management. If, like me, you love all things farming and homesteading, and if you'd like to learn from the female farmer's perspective, then I'd love to have you along for the ride. So let's get farming. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Not the Farmer's Wife. I'm CJ, and I'm your host for the podcast. And I'm also recording uh, a video link for this one to go up on YouTube, as I've done for the last couple of weeks. It's working very well. We've got a few new followers on uh, YouTube. So if you're watching on YouTube, hello, welcome. Um, and don't forget to go and check out some of our stuff on YouTube if you're listening on our podcast. Uh, so today we are talking about all things seeds, plants and propagation. Um, and as most of you would know, I have mentioned probably about a million times, I am definitely not a green thumb. Everything that I have had to learn in regards to growing plants um, has been a real learning curve <laughs> and it requires effort. It's not something that comes naturally to me to um, be a good gardener. Um, I really have to work at it. But the benefits that I get from pushing myself, I guess, beyond what is my normal natural abilities uh, has been so worthwhile. Um, as some of you would also know, I live a fairly carnivory kind of lifestyle. I have dabbled with eating purely carnivore, so only animal products, which I know some people freak out about, but go and Google it. Believe me, there's a lot more people doing it than you think. Um, and there's some really good reasons for doing carnivore. However, one of the key reasons I would not consider myself to be um, purely 100% carnivore is because I like variety. <laughs> I like I like fruit. There's some veggies I really like. Um, I have had to adjust my diet. So the reason that I did carnivore, a little bit of backstory, the reason I did carnivore was because um, I had some gut issues. I had a lot of gut issues. And uh, it seemed like the simplest way for me to do a very, very strict exclusion diet without suffering. So I went completely carnivore for about 28 days and all my stomach issues cleared up, my skin issues cleared up, uh, my skin feels 100% on what it was. Uh, I even noticed that my lovely grey hair was less less grey. There was a lot more brown growing back through. I don't know whether there's a link with that, but I felt a lot better for going carnivore. But I was bored. <laughs> I was bored with just eating meat and eggs and, and milk and butter and, yeah, all those things. Uh, so I like eating some vegetables, but I've had to streamline what I eat. So uh, because I did pretty much an exclusion diet, I've brought in vegetables one at a time back into my diet and very quickly discovered that corn and capsicum and eggplants, those kind of nightshady plants, are not my friends. Tomatoes don't seem to bother me, but they do bother the handy helper because he went, he followed my diet lifestyle for a bit. And he's discovered that tomatoes are not his friend. Um, so there's a few there that are not my friends. And I have also discovered that grain is not good for me. Now, that being said, because we're talking about plants, 
I'm actually looking forward to getting my hands on some non-genetically modified grains like wheat, uh, the old style wheat, and growing it to see if I can maybe still eat some grains, um, but using uh, the older style plants that haven't been modified and obviously um, processing those grains in a different way to what we get from the commercially produced grains, uh, manufactured grains that we buy in the shops. So making my own flour, essentially. Um, I do make my own sourdough bread for the kids. Um, I've got over on the kitchen sink is a uh, sourdough that's proofing at the moment, ready to go in the oven almost. Um, and I love sourdough bread and it doesn't seem to upset my stomach anywhere near as much as commercially made bread. Anyway, so that all being said, I um, am no gardener, but I try very hard because I do like to include those foods into incorporate them into our diet, uh, particularly for my kids. Uh, we have a lot of strawberry plants. We have a raspberry bush that is massive. We have a couple of blueberry bushes. Long story there, we've never had a fruit off them, but but this year's the year. This year we're going to have blueberries, I'm determined. Um, and my kids love fruit, so they definitely will scoff all those things. Uh, but they also love um, going out and picking cherry tomatoes off the vine and just eating them straight. My kids love that stuff, so that's why we still have a veggie garden. Also, long term, for most of you that are looking at homesteading as far as you know, can I earn an income off this? Long term, even if you're not selling vegetables, being able to barter and swap with other people um, or can and preserve for later use so that you can reduce your costs through winter, that would be awesome. So so there's a lot of pluses for having a veggie garden and getting your own plants up and growing. Now, before we dive into that, I have a little video that I'd like to show you, and I've never used this system before, so hopefully this will work. But uh, last Thursday, uh, as you know, we're coming into the kidding season for us and we have goats here. We also have cows, um, but we primarily have goats and chickens. So last last Thursday, uh, we got home from work slash school and discovered this. Now, let me see if I can get this to work. This here is McFlurry. <laughs> Any boys born on the farm get called a... Uh, <laughs> a name uh, that's suitable to food groups <laughs> so that we can uh, look at that. It keeps pausing on me. Um, so for those that are watching on podcast, I'm sorry, you're going to have to go look at either my TikTok pages, my Instagram pages or YouTube uh, because I have got a video up of uh, McFlurry who is a little baby half Angora, half Anglo-Nubian buckling. And um, unfortunately for him, He's destined for the freezer. Um, boys on our farm, if they're not purebred and used for breeding, then they are destined for the freezer camp. Um, but all goats are gorgeous, so everybody loves them. So there are some videos up there. If you're vegetarian or vegan or don't agree with eating your own meat that you grow, uh, sorry, not sorry. <laughs> we do. <laughs> anyway. I'll get rid of that off the screen for my YouTubers. So podcasters, if you want to see the baby goats, uh, go to TikTok at Mojo Homestead or Mojo Homestead um, on Instagram. You will see the reels are up. Um, or just go to YouTube, Mojo Homestead, and have a quick look and see the lovely little gorgeous white fluffy goat baby. Anyway. Enough of that. Uh, oh, before we get into the plants, uh, to plants and seeds discussion, uh, don't forget also too that you can uh, go to www. 
www.mojohomestead.net backslash seven must knows and download your free, completely free, no obligation um, guide to backyard chicken keeping. And I cover off on seven things that you absolutely need to know before you consider having chickens in your backyard. Uh, so go and download that guide. It's very useful. Um, it's got a lot of things in there that maybe you wouldn't think about, but you do need to know. Um, so go and do that. Our next backyard chicken keeping course will be running in November. Um, we had to postpone our August one because I just had too much on with goats arriving and shearing and all kinds of other stuff. So back to plants and seeds. Let's have a look at what we're talking about. So we've, we all understand that we need to grow. Um, there's some vegetables and plants that we will need to grow in a, in our backyards. If we, um, want a varied diet and we want a sustainable diet, then the best way that we can do that is to grow our own. The, the thing to start with, and, and I discussed soil in another episode, so aside from the fact that you have to have healthy, good soil, uh, the next thing that you need to look at is getting high-quality seeds or cuttings. Now, when I say high-quality seeds, I prefer heirloom seeds, so seeds that haven't been genetically modified and that haven't been treated so that you can't regrow off seeds that you get from the fruit of that plant. Um, a lot of, in a lot of cases, the seeds that you buy in Bunnings or in any of the garden produce shops, they'll be modified. So they're sprayed with a particular chemical where the seed is, it's great because the seed still lives and everything, but the seed is modified so that the fruit of that seed will be infertile and it won't grow. So buying heirloom, um, and you can go through in Australia places like the Diggers Club, um, Eden Seeds, uh, ones in Australia. Over in the US, it was Bacus Creek Seeds, I think, was the one that I looked at. They had some awesome seeds. And I can't, I can't import into Australia some of these seeds, which is a real shame because they've got some really good quality plants that we um, maybe don't get you know, the real heirloomy versions of here in Australia. But having the heirloom seeds means that when you grow the plant and you get fruit off the plant you can then seed save off those fruits to grow your next year's supply of, of annuals um so for plants that only last a year and when they die they, they you know they don't come back you can't keep the roots going and, and bring them back the next year although i did see slight squirrel moment here I did see a tree the other day advertised on Facebook I don't know how much truth in it but it was a tomato tree that evidently just keeps growing and growing forever and ever you know like as a lifespan of a normal tree of like 20 or 30 years gotta go have a look at that I'll get back to you and let you know what I find um but also too um with your heirloom seeds make sure that you're buying from the source so buy from reputable dealers um eden seeds are one that i really like here in australia um they will tell you straight up if the seed they, they have seeds that they sell that aren't non-gmo that are commercially treated against pests and different diseases and things like that and that's the real thing with heirloom you have to be mindful of the fact that if it hasn't been genetically modified there are going to be pests there are going to be diseases that will affect that plant more than they would um, say a commercial seed 
that a farmer is growing on a large, you know, monocropping kind of system, they will use the genetically modified seeds because it saves them having to put extra fertilizer down, put extra pesticides down if they have the genetically modified seeds. So that's the background behind that. For us backyard growers, for us people that are growing in our urban homestead environment or on a small couple of acres or like me, 120 acres, but I'm considered a very small scale farmer. Uh, for people that are just growing, you know, our veggie gardens that we have, heirloom is the best. Heirloom is absolutely the best. We um, are not growing in such big quantities that uh, pests become, you know, essential, like a, like a an absolute crisis for us. Um, so I think it is better to go with the heirlooms and primarily because you can seed save. So straight away you're cutting down your costs for the following year. Um, and on that, we have discussed seed saving before on this channel. Um, so make sure that you keep a really good fruit. Say you get a, a tomato and you look at it and you go, that tomato is awesome. Scrape the seeds out of it. Dry them out. Give them a little wash. Dry them out. Depends. You can Google the different seed saving methods for different plants. But for most seeds, you need to dry them out. So a bit of paper toweling down, maybe not in direct sun, but in an area where it's reasonably hot and humid, not hot and humid, hot and dry, where you can dry them out. And then once they're completely dry, store them, label them, what year were they, what variety of plant, and, and then store them somewhere nice and clean, dry, away from direct sunlight. Um, so definitely do that. That is one way to go with your seeds. The next thing I wanted to talk about was starting your seeds indoors or in a greenhouse. Now, uh, for people that live in a climate like I do here in the Yass River area, um, we are still getting frosts. We had a frost the other day. So we're still getting frosts. It's end of August now, and we will likely get a couple of frosts into September, and we have been known to get snow <laughs> as late as November here. So, you know, right into spring and, and you know, almost summer, and we will still have these occasional weird weather events where we end up with snow or frost or something like that. Uh, and no, it's not climate change, folks. This has been happening for hundreds of years where we still get these frosts in November. So we need to be mindful of the fact, and depending on where you are, you need to be mindful of what the climate is outside. Now, if you live in sunny Queensland or you're in California or somewhere like that and you, you're not in an area where you get frost, you go playing out straight in the garden, you lucky thing you. I'm so fucking jealous it's not funny. Uh, for us that do get these frosts, these late frosts, we need to consider starting our seeds in an indoor environment. So starting them in trays, on a veranda, somewhere where they're, they're not going to get frost. Um, they're not going to get hit by a massive cold snap. Now, there are some plants that like getting hit by a massive cold snap. I mean, our garlic won't grow like, like our garlic does grow without those cold snaps. But for our little seeds that we're starting out, they don't need to be hammered with something like that. So what you need to do is find an area, whether it's on your veranda, in a greenhouse, in a garden shed, whatever suits your environment, and have a couple of shelving, just a, a cheapy IKEA $10 metal shelving rack would do, and have some trays on there and start your seeds there. Now, some seeds, depending on your climate, you might need to look at putting heat mats underneath them and things like that. I don't go that far here because we usually have bright sunny days during that, that kind of transitional spring period. 
Um, but you need to keep them warm, humid, and free from direct sunlight and free from direct frost to get them started. Now, I usually start mine about now. So over the next week or two, I will start putting trays down with the things that I want to start growing. Um, and I do plan it out. So I, I grow a couple of plants of, of each kind. And because of my elimination diet that I spoke about earlier, there's some plants I won't be growing this year. And there's others that I'll definitely be growing because, you know, I've realized zucchinis love me. I have no problem eating zucchinis. So of course, zucchinis grow wonderfully here. And with the bees, they go absolutely gangbusters. We'll be definitely growing zucchinis. But some plants I can plant straight out and some I can't. In most cases, I'll start them as seedlings on the veranda. Once they get to about four to six weeks, then I will start either leaving them out overnight still in their seedling tray just to try and acclimatise them, especially if I know it's not going to be a frost. Um, and then eventually, yeah, around that six-week mark, they go into the ground and start growing properly in the garden. Um, I think it's important to... Um, also, if you have plants that, you know, are really precious to you, like I've got some seeds for spaghetti squash um, and I, it was really hard for me to get them. I'm sure they're available other places, but every time I've gone to buy them, people are out of stock. So those ones I'll be even more precious with because I don't want them damaged. I don't want to lose my seeds. So... Uh, where are we? I'm having a look at my list that I've got here because I always forget things. I get halfway through my podcast and go, what have I forgotten? So obviously when you're starting your seeds, you need to look at having good quality soil. Um, wouldn't hurt to chuck a fertiliser like a sea soil or something like a seaweed-based or um, worm-casting-based uh, fertiliser just to give them that little pep up. And my grand scheme and goal for, you know, next winter, which handy helper will kill me when he hears this is I would like to have a proper greenhouse I don't have a proper greenhouse at this point because my veranda is a sunny northeast facing aspect and I use that but I would love to have a proper greenhouse and one day I'm going to have a greenhouse that's got a little heater in it so that I could grow plants that don't like cold weather <laughs> don't tell the handy helper because he'll freak when I tell him anyway uh so if you are looking at planting the next thing I was going to talk about is planting direct to garden beds uh, so some plants are, are fine planting direct to garden beds um, like I said my zucchini sometimes I start them inside but sometimes I just start them straight out in the garden a uh, pumpkin I definitely start straight out in the garden they do fine out there um, tomatoes I tend to start my seedlings inside but um, things like carrots they're a pain in the ass to start as a seedling and then get into the ground so I tend to just scatter some carrot seeds into the ground not that I've ever had any luck with carrots I think you have to have the soil just at this perfect mix of loaminess and sandiness and not clay otherwise you end up with these stunted little carrots that you know they don't look like proper carrots they just look like weird doubled back on themselves vegetables anyway so uh some some you definitely can plant straight out and obviously um things like uh, cuttings, which I'll talk about in a sec. Um, cuttings, it may be a case that, you know, if you're doing a lot of cuttings, you might want to just take the cuttings and put them straight into the ground, put a little bit of cutting mixture on them and put them straight in the ground. We'll discuss that in a minute. But it's, you know, there's lots of different ways that you can put them directly into the ground. Because of our climate here, we generally go the seedling route. Um, and again, that will depend on your climate. If you're a 
one of those lucky people that lives up in sunny Queensland, aside from the fact that I hate that you can grow avocados, bananas and ginger. Yeah. Uh, one day, one day in the heated, the heated greenhouse. I'm going to have that heated greenhouse no matter what. Okay, so uh, maintaining your seed bank. Um, we have already discussed a bit of that, but just one of the real key things with that is to make sure that you keep really good records. There's nothing worse than pulling out a envelope that you have got seeds in and you look at the seeds and you go, fuck, I have got no idea what they are, where they're from, what year I even put them in the envelope. So right on the outside of the envelope, what you've got when you harvested those seeds um, and that way you know, when time, it comes time to use them, you know that you can get them out and go, oh, yeah, these are the tomatoes. Oh, these are the big beefsteak tomatoes that I saved. Yeah, I'm definitely going to use those. If you don't have that written on the outside, you'll have no idea. The other thing with this seed saving is that you need to make sure you have a really good storage container. Uh, and when I say storage container, uh, airtight is good, but it's not essential. But, you know, a clip seal decor plastic container is fine if you've got all your little envelopes in there all labelled and you just stack them into the container and clip seal the lid onto it. You want it so that no pests can get in. So if you've got mice problems, which we do have mice problems here from time to time, you don't want any pests getting in. You don't want any bugs getting in. So any bugs that would normally get into um, vegetation could get into seeds as well. Uh, you don't want any moisture in there, so it has to be a dry environment. Sometimes I will not use the little, um, I can't think what they're called, the little things that you use to um, put into packets to soak up the moisture. I don't bother with that. I'll just put some paper towel down um, at the bottom just so that if there is any moisture, it can get soaked up. And then check them a month or so after you've put them away for the year. And if there is any moisture, you can take that paper towel out and put a fresh paper towel in to soak up any more. Um, one of the other things that I love about seed saving is that, uh, and and you know, not being the super super green thumb, I am in awe of those people who just grow anything they want wherever they want. But touching base with communities who are also seed saving means that if you've got a particular heirloom or heritage style uh, seed that you have, you may be able to swap it with somebody who has something that you don't have. Um, and I found that people like homesteaders, people that are right into their gardening, they're more than happy to, to do those kinds of trades because it's a you scratch my back, I'll scratch your back kind of situation and they get out, they have a win out of it as well. So definitely um, you know, touch base with groups that you uh, find on Facebook is probably the best option. Um, a lot of the older ladies who are gardeners, I'm not going to be stereotypical, but we are, um, they will be on Facebook and you will find a group, hopefully within your area, um, that you can say, hey, I've got this seed, I'm after this type of seed, does anybody have it, willing to pay or trade? And, and you'll find that people will come to the party and say, yes, we've got something. Um, what else did I want to talk about? No, that's it for seed banks. So seed banks, I, I see seed banks as very important only because it saves you money next year which is great for us homesteaders, for people that are trying to live that, that more sustainable kind of lifestyle. Having your own seeds rather than having to buy them is a huge plus. So definitely go to seed banking. Now, the next thing I was going to talk about is something that I probably, this is where I fall down in my knowledge so much. And I really, like I say, I have to work hard to learn these things. So propagating plants through cuttings or division. 
Now, I would love to be one of those people that could just go, all right, I'm just going to regrow that plan. I'm going to take a little cutting off there. I'm going to make that happen. I've tried. I do try. I try every year. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. I do not have a natural ability at this. So the idea with propagation is that you take a cutting and it could be from a woody part, but generally it's from a green, um, softer growth area of the plant and you either um, dip it into something and I've I've heard of different things. Is you can actually buy cutting powder that you dip it into and that's supposed to promote a root growth from that cutting. But I've also heard of people dipping it in honey, milk, um, what was the other one? There was some other thing that somebody said they were dipping their cuttings in. I was like, holy shit, really? Is that, does that work? Um, but the idea is then that you put that cutting into soil that is moist, warm, uh, and you know, in a protected area, and the cutting will actually start to sprout its own roots, and you end up with an entirely new plant from it. Now, obviously, there are some plants that are more I mean, technically, you could probably do it with any plant, but there are plants that are definitely more um, adapted to that style of, of propagation. So herbs are, are a common one where you can take a cutting off a herb and put it in the soil and get a new plant out of it. Uh, fruit trees. Now, and this is the thing where I fall down in my knowledge, the grafting of fruit trees. I understand the concept. I've never been able to do it successfully. I would love to go and work at a nursery for like six months and see how they do it. But uh, most of our fruit trees are grafted onto a different rootstock base uh, here in Australia. And the way that they do that, I don't understand fully, but I understand that the concept is that the rootstock gives that particular plant a really good base into the ground where that plant may not always have had a good base into the ground. So it is a form of modifying the plant but it's a form of modifying the plant that gives us the best opportunity to grow that plant. So fruit trees are generally grafted here in Australia. Uh, berry bushes, uh, that one I can grow. <laughs> That's probably been my best success so far. I have got raspberry canes that come up even when I don't necessarily want them to. It's not even necessarily that I'm propagating them, but um, I have always been able to cut a raspberry, blueberry, strawberry, you know, separate and divide and replant and get it to grow. So the, the little fruit berries, I've, I've perfected that one. I'm sure that that's not a special skill, um, but I'm pretty glad that I have because it's meant that I've been able to grow really good, healthy strawberries and I've got blueberry bushes everywhere. My blueberry bushes, have I've never had a fruit. I think I have one blueberry off them because every year right before the fruit is ready to be harvested, something gets in whether it's a goat or a cockatoo something gets into my blueberries this year I am building a dome cage over my blueberries nothing is touching those blueberries until I'm ready to touch them um uh, vines are another one that are really good for propagating so um I live where I live here we have quite a big climate winery area um vineyards um, and so a lot of the wine grapes are growing in this area because the soil is really, really um, adapted to, to growing them and getting a really good quality wine. And I can attest to that because I've tried a few of them. Um, but vines are another one that they are grown from propagation of cuttings. Um, now, if you want to learn more about that, my best suggestion is Google because I 
would not be able to help you with it. But certainly it's something that I'm going to work at this year. So I'll try and get some videos up of me doing the cuttings and seeing if they're working. Um, I want to get my herb garden back up and growing because at the moment my herb garden looks like shit. I've got like two plants in there. So that will be a big test for me this year to get the herbs up and growing so that I can start growing some herbs for to use in cooking over winter and stuff like that. Um, all right. So cuttings. If you're good at cuttings, hats off to you. Um, I actually know somebody who, um, a family member who can take cuttings and stick them in soil and grow plants like nobody's business. Um, it's a, it actually works really well too with house plants. And I have a house plant that my lovely sister-in-law um, uh, gave me for my birthday, uh, for my 50th a couple of years back. And um, it's grown gangbusters. And it's at that point where I'm like, I really need to take a couple of cuttings and see if I can grow some more of them because it's a really pretty little house plant. Anyway. Uh, so that's propagation through cuttings and division. Um, now, the we've we've already talked about seed saving to a degree, and I've got that here again. But one of the other things I wanted to mention was uh, cross pollination. So when we were first at the small farm in Gunning, uh, which is two and a half acres, we had a veggie garden growing, and it was terrible. We had not. We, this is before I had my bees. I'd just done my beekeeping course, and I didn't have a beehive as yet. And I had uh, zucchini, squash, uh, what else did I have growing? Tomatoes, um, pumpkin. I had them all growing. Nothing was getting fertilised. The, the, there was no wind in the area where the garden was. And so we ended up with all these plants and all these flowers, but no fruit. Nothing was fruiting. So I was actually out there with a cotton bud, like a Q-tip, and touching one flower that looked like a male flower, touching the female flower, going back to the male flower and doing that to try and get them to fruit <laughs> because they weren't propagating. Um, uh, they weren't, sorry, they weren't, um, the, the flowers weren't fertilising to turn into fruit. I got my bees and everything changed. But something that we did notice, and this is the science of plant growing that I don't understand as much of, but if you're a biology fan, then this would be a good one, is cross-propagation. So where you have, say, a squash and a zucchini, which are a similar family of, animal, of plants, and a bee might go from one flower to the other flower, and you end up with a weird, like, cross-bred fruit, if that makes sense. Um, some people do it on purpose. Some people do it, they actually plant particular species of plants next to each other. Uh, in uh, Particularly the wind will help that happen, that transfer happen, but any pollinators will as well. And they try and crossbreed the two different styles of plants. Um, and it, it works in particular also with things that have to have a male and a female. So I think almonds are one that have you have to have two plants in order for them to actually propagate and together and uh, grow almonds. And that's why people with almonds generally will get beekeepers to come in and set up their commercial beehives uh, in order to get those those almond plants growing and, and fruiting. Um, what else? I think that's just about it for today it was never going to be a big one because i'm terrible with plants and like i say i am i can tell you anything you need to know about animals but plants is always something that i've had to try hard at but like i say it's definitely worth the effort i mean 
um, a few years back I had peaches at the at the small farm and I still have jars of peaches that I um, canned um, from from our big fruiting season uh, so that we harvested off the peach trees. I've still got the, the jars there. We still use them for desserts. Um, just about out. I think I've got four jars left. <laughs> I don't have a peach tree here, so I'm going to be shit out of luck then. Um, but I guess the main thing is when we look at our homesteading kind of lifestyle, um, even though, you know, I'm a very big proponent of um, animal livestock um, growing, we have to have the plant growing as well. Even for somebody like me who lives a primarily carnival kind of lifestyle, um, I, you know, if you've got other members of your family who eat vegetables, um, if you want to grow vegetables and fruit and grains to feed to your livestock, you need to know how to do this. And the best way that you can learn is just to get out there and get your hands into the dirt. Honestly, it's been such a learning curve for me physically doing it. I learn by physically doing it. I think a lot of people do. So if if in doubt, just go out and have a crack at it. Um, the worst that could happen is the plant doesn't grow or it grows and dies. Um, that would be the absolutely worst case scenario. But you might also end up with a really healthy, good plant that, that's giving you heaps of fruit through the summer months. So experiment, try. It can't hurt. Uh, and there are a couple of good uh, gardening podcasts and things like that that I listen to as well. Um, Sustainable Me, I think, is an Australian guy up in Queensland, maybe, judging by some of the images I've seen. Um, he's quite good. And there's another guy that lives in California who basically has turned his entire urban yard, so he's in a house block, turned his entire urban yard into a veggie garden and he's got fruit trees and he's he's just got chickens because I was listening the other day and I heard that he's got chickens uh, in his backyard now. Uh, but he's turned his entire house block, no grass, it's all veggie gardens. So he just produces like crazy on a normal urban house block. Um, and remember that the whole reason that we're doing this is to try and, A, have healthier produced food, food that we're producing ourselves. Um, generally, we're cost-cutting uh, by producing our own food, not having to rely on what comes into the supermarkets. But we're also then avoiding... Um, genetically modified which isn't always a bad thing you know there's a lot of pluses for genetically modified plants but for most of us when we want to eat our food we want to eat real food and enjoying eating that real food comes from growing it ourselves and you know exactly what you're eating exactly what you're getting and I know people freak out about my the fact that we eat our own livestock here but I would much rather eat something that I knew uh, grew in an environment where it had its best life before it became my food. And that doesn't just apply to livestock. That also applies to fruit and veg. You know, knowing that I'm growing it here and that it's not got pesticides on it and that it's not been kept in cold storage for six months and, you know, that you know, it was picked at the height of its freshness and then bottled or dried or, or frozen or, you know, it was stored in a way that may, meant that I can enjoy it in the middle of winter um, but I know that it was picked when it was at the height of its freshness and, and preserved at that point in time. Anyway, it's a learning process. Everybody should just go out there and grow shit. That's that's my theory on everything. Um, now, before I go, today, the last thing I wanted to mention, and for those watching on YouTube, I'm going to hold it up now uh, for those listening. 
my beeswax wraps are back in stock at Amazon. I will put a link in. Um, no, I don't make the beeswax wraps myself. I, I wish I could, um, but commercially it's not viable to do it at this point in time in Australia. I am trying to work out a way that I can produce these in Australia. Unfortunately, I buy these from overseas and uh, sell them on Amazon. So um, they are not Australian made. I wish I could say they were. I am working on it. Believe me, that's long-term goal down the track is to have not only the fabric made here in Australia, but also have the process of the, the bees uh, wax being added to the fabric in Australia. Uh, but for those that don't know, these are um, a three-pack of beeswax wraps and you use them to wrap across food or wrap food up in or cover bowls and things like that in without having to use Glad Wrap. And so long as you don't touch them up against the, the food, uh, if it's a meat product, don't touch it up against the meat. But for fruit and veg, you can just simply rinse it off. Um, same with sandwiches. You can wrap a sandwich in it and it will keep them fresh. And you just give it a quick rinse, let it dry again, and uh, they're heat activated. So if you hold them in your hand and keep your hands on them, they stay nice and warm and then they become very pliable. And then you just wrap up your food again in them. So you can keep reusing them instead of using uh, cling wrap to cover your food. So if you're interested in getting those, I will put a link in the show notes for where you can go to buy your beeswax wraps. Otherwise, that's it for me this week. Um, I hope that coming into uh, this lovely growing season for us here in Australia, you're all out there crazily growing things in your garden and getting started and working out what you're going to do. And for my US uh, and Northern Hemisphere listeners, um, you would be coming out of your growing season right now. So hopefully this is a great time for you guys to seed save like mad and plan for next year and decide what you're going to grow and what you're not going to grow, what worked, what didn't, what you'd like to try. Experimentation is great. You know, I, I say it to the kids all the time and I'm sure most of you who've got kids say it, uh, mistakes are proof that you're trying and learning. Uh, so making a mistake isn't the end of the world. It just means that you learned a way not to do it. I think. Was it Edison? I've worked out a hundred ways that a light bulb won't work. Yeah. And uh, the hundred and first way was the way that it did work. Uh, experiment, have fun with it and see how you go. Anyway, um, obviously, uh, if you want to have a look at more images of baby goats, go and follow me on the socials. Um, and next week, I think we're talking about livestock and birth and babies and I will have videos galore for you next week. Until then, I will see you all. Have a great week. Bye for now. Thanks so much for listening today. I hope you've enjoyed our time together. If you did, I'd be so grateful if you left me a review. I would also absolutely love it if you tagged me in your next post on your favourite socials at either Not The Farmer's Wife or Mojo Homestead. And don't forget to get your free guide to backyard chicken keeping at www.mojohomestead.net backslash seven must knows. And remember, grow the life you want to live. See ya. See ya.